0: Everybody, it's June, and I've had a few questions about doing something about mastering. And I couldn't think of anyone better than a guy I know in L.A. He's done a lot of big bands, Moore, Applebaum. Uh, he's worked with The uh, Faith No More, Meatloaf, William Shatner, um, you name it. Uh, he's touched the final product. Great guest to have on the show because I think mastering is often uh, misunderstood in terms of what exactly goes on in the process uh, besides you know competitive levels and being able to compete on the platforms of what everyone listens to music today. Obviously, a very large subject to cover. We're just going to touch a tiny little bit. A very important process, being that it is the final step between your project, your vision, and the world, essentially. Now, mastering won't fix everything that you've done in production. However, there are a few simple steps you can take to make your productions shine, just like some of your favorite artists. So if you're an up-and-coming band looking to uh, get their sound larger than life and to the next level, or just interested in audio and what exactly the process of mastering entails, then this episode is right up your alley. As always, if you have specific questions for our guests... Hit me up at eric at level3studios.com, E-R-I-K at level3, the number three, studios, all one word, dot com. And I'll do my best to have the guest answer your question on a future episode. Mastering on its own is its own unique animal, and I'll let Maor take it from here. Hey, everybody, Eric Schultek with the Level 3 Studios podcast, and this week is all about mastering i 'm talking with a friend i 've known a while he 's a mastering engineer out in l a mahor applebaum mahor thanks for uh, joining us today
1: thank you for having me on the show
0: absolutely um now've i've known we 've known each other a while um you 've done some mastering for me and and i 've also um, you know uh, passed you on to some clients who have utilized you you've you 've also worked with uh some huge acts like Faith No More, Halford, Dokken, Cynic, and Doth, stuff like that. So you're a man of many uh, genres.
1: Hey, I try to be as flexible as I can. I love music, you know, and for me, it's all about the music. Um, I'm a fan of music from a young age, and I like different styles of music, so it just works good for me, you know. I'm I... I One day I do uh, uh, an album for Yes, one day I do for Meatloaf, one day I do for Faith No More, then for Eric Gales, then Aria, Luca Fiasco, Armored Saint, you know, it's just, they're all different, some jazz records, some blues records, some metal records, punk records, you know, pop records, It just, I love music in general, so why not?
0: Well, when you and I had talked a long time ago, and we had kind of talked about mastering in general... Um, And you you told me that you wanted to to be good at one thing and focus on one thing, and that was mastering.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I felt that, to me, focusing on something and really giving it the most that I can would probably make me better at it and also give my clients the better part of me or the better results that are possible. You know, spreading it and giving less percentages of of what's possible, I'm giving more percentages of what I can bring to the table.
0: What is it about mastering in particular for you that you uh, enjoyed better than maybe just mixing or production in general?
1: Um, You know, I think a lot of it has to do with my background. I was a music journalist, I was a broadcasting engineer, I was a DJ position, at a licensing company, at a distribution, I was always part of the end product, the consumer, sure. and what gave it to the consumer, and also, as a musician, you know, part of the creation. But I always felt like being the person between the listener and the creation, that buffer, and maybe the final step is where I... I can bring my best. Um, you know, with the experience of being a broadcasting engineer, a DJ at a radio show, um, a music journalist, you know, you, you, I think you kind of develop a certain ear for the outcome. And my engagement with the music is in the end, and I I put what I can through an existing thing already. So, you know, it comes to me at the end stage where I can just add what I can to it. And even though the involvement is very important, but I'm not affecting anything in the creation. And I think it's better for me because I can be very objective and fresh to the music. I can bring a new perspective to it. And align it with what the audience can connect with. That's and a, make it more engaging.
0: Yeah. That's a great that's a great explanation. I mean, and I am a firm believer of always whenever I can have someone else master my stuff. Um I know a lot of people may not may not think think that way these days, but I, I like having someone that I know and trust with that has that objective mindset to get in there because sometimes when you work on something for so long you you can develop blinders just audio blinders to certain things uh, and I think having that trusted advisor is' a, you know a necessity before that final end step uh, it's, it's such an important um, thing being a mastering engineer and you know there's obviously misconceptions to what exactly mastering is I mean some people at its basic form just think it's loudness or similar levels to other songs but there's a lot more to it than that
1: i i have to agree um you know when you master a single you're trying to optimize and improve one song and, and how it's being perceived when you're doing an ep an album or a compilation then you're you're treating each song but you're also treating it as a whole because you want The people to hear it as one story, or one thing that has a few stories, but there's a connection between them. And that can be on a tonal level, could be dynamics, could be volume, could be a combination of them. And it also can be how one song starts, if it starts with a fade in or not and how it ends if it ends with a fade out or not and the gap between the songs you know the spacing of it if you let it come in fast or let let it like fade and then have some time off to to get some uh, silence in between that maybe can give you the perception of of quiet and exploding or developing there's a lot of things that affect how a song begins and ends just by how it starts in terms of the fade in or fade out or a jump cut. That affects how you feel the song comes in.
0: Sure. What do you think, what do you feel is, is like, throughout your experience, what is the most difficult thing about trying to achieve cohesiveness amongst a 10-song track um, when you're mastering? I mean, it's not that easy. To, to be cohesive amongst all those tracks with different mixes. What do you find is the biggest challenge in your job?
1: Well, every case is very different because in some cases, there's no way to make it cohesive because they're totally off from each other. But But then you have to create an overall feel. Even though they're not cohesive, you make it feel like they come from a certain similar place. Or in other cases, those songs that were done in different times and they were either way more brighter or darker and they're not, um, sequenced in the best way in right. terms of, uh, the album buildup is not always in its optimal way. And, and in some cases I recommend changing it, um, if the artist is willing. And if yes, great. And we find a better way to, you know, flow the album better. But in some cases, it's a given as is, and we have to work with it. And then you find yourself, um, compensating or compromising whatever is needed or combination of both. It's not that easy to make everything cohesive as some might think because the longer you work on a project, it's not always that you're tweaking everything to keep them similar. Sometimes, Longer you work on a project, certain songs just sound very different because they were mixed in different times, and your ears were different at that time, or your uh, work environment was different, or you changed gear. It, it, there's always, there's always something there. On the other hand, there are times where you do get things that are a bit more kind of cohesive in a way, or at least sounding more similar. And then you just try to find a tone that really emphasizes the feel of the record and, and you make it more engaging. And then the, the differences are, might be smaller, but still you make those adjustments, either volume or a few tonal adjustments. There's no one set formula, but the basic idea is to try to make the audience feel like they're listening to one band and even if they're changing you know instrumentation or if the same instrumentation but they have fast songs and slow songs make them still feel like it's that same band and not like a compilation of bands you know it's like identity you want to keep the identity there when you do that it's convincing because if you hear a record from beginning to end, and it sounds like the same band, even though different songs and different grooves, but you feel it's the same band, then you identify that band. And you identify that sound.
0: Yeah, I know you often probably find yourself working with artists multiple times because you found that formula for them, right?
1: Well, um, I find that even though, if, even though you learn how they sound, every time you get a different type of recording or a different emphasis on stuff, for example, you might be doing, you know, like, I don't know, four or five records with a band and each record, even though it sounds like the same band, they went with the production to a different place. One record was darker, one was brighter, one was more uh, up-tempo. I don't think there's a one formula. I think that even if it's the same person, you don't apply the same things cuz each time there's something else coming up. Yeah. And also you probably don't want to repeat yourself in a way that it sounds like the same record you've done before. Uh, at least at least on a mastering side there's there's people who have done like 30 records with but I don't make it sound the same. Yeah. It's always different.
0: That would be boring for you anyway if it was always the same.
1: Well, you know, I like my job so much that, you know, I can handle if it becomes boring, but still, you know, you wanna keep um, the identity that exists, but you can enhance different things that are represented differently in that record.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That also backs up what I was saying about having a mastering engineer um, do your final mastering rather than let's say you um you know the artist trying to master their own stuff it's it 's a lot more than just level it's it's cohesiveness and you need someone with an ear and experience to to uh to do that and I think people get scared when they hear mastering. they think it's going to be some huge price tag, which isn 't necessarily always the case
1: When you have a record coming out that 's something you work really hard on and you really want it to be representative of what you've worked hard for. So, I don't think that's the place to cut corners.
0: Yeah, I think it's like if you spent that much time honing the production, the mix, it's it's going out there for the world to hear, it's it's your it's leaving your hands and why not spend the money on the extra 10%? It, it doesn't
1: have to be 10%. Yeah. It could be between five percent to thirty percent change. In the end of the day, even if it's a five percent, a ten percent, a fifteen or twenty or thirty, the audience hears it as a hundred percent because they hear a final result.
0: Right. Yeah, I think you know, if some people may be thinking that, well, mastering, you know, I don't want it to change my mix. I've already got the compression the way that I like it, the EQ, whatever, da da da. It's we're talking cohesiveness amongst a record and um, small moves and 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 things like that. Probably you're not even thinking about um, that. Um, mastering engineers can can bring out in your in your recordings.
1: Sometimes it's only small tweaks that are important that have this translate better on systems. You might have like a few frequencies that might have a problem, you know, and they might be doing something that is not great, you know? And you want to fix that. That being said, I'm not saying you have to be pharmaceutical with it and go in, you know, yeah. deep, deep, yeah, yeah, you know, and like going to the doctors or uh, whatever with it. Sometimes fixing a problem can create a different problem, but it doesn't have to be Brain surgery. It could be something very minimal that still will make it sound better. And in the end of the day, if it sounds better, even if people say, "Oh, nobody cares," well, in the end of the day, if it sounds better, you enjoy it better. Well, why not?
0: I know you're always tweaking your setup, and um, you know what you use. And I know that you're you're also pretty adept at building your own gear and stuff. What? What are you uh like what's your situation now? Like what do you monitor through? What what's your desk look like? Anything you want to share on what type of chain you're using or special gear that you uh your best favorite toy, so to speak?
1: Some of the stuff I build is like only minimal stuff that I do. I, I usually build with people that are more proficient. I like to hire people who are better than me in that. I know where my limitations are. In, in terms of design and building, I maybe have good ideas, and but still I need to work with people who know what to do, um, and they know better than me, of course, so I, I hire them. Some stuff is custom-built with designing with me, and some of it is custom-modified. So some gear I'll buy what's out there, and then we'll make changes that are custom for me and other gear will build from scratch for me and some other gear is just custom that you buy but it's just you don't buy it like off the shelf you gotta order it mm-hmm. it takes time um i'm always adding and changing i have custom stuff like there's a piece of gear called the workshop ltdma which is a collaboration between me and foot control systems Roger Foot and I have worked on this custom unit for me which is an analog saturator clipper and has some tonal options cool. now working on another unit called The Bench which does similar things but in a different way I have some custom units built from Overstayer I have a custom uh, MAS that they changed specifically for me I have a Magic Death Eye compressor that has custom mods in it um i have a michelangelo eq i have a modified api 2500 compressor that is modified nicely um i have this new unit called the whitestone p331 uh it's a tube loading amplifier it's really nice it can do really nice things um I have a Maselik EQ, the ME MEA uh, ME2. I have the Maselik Multiband Analog Compressor, the MLA4. I have a Legendary Audio Masterpiece, which is it's a rare nowadays. Um, it's like a, kind of a mastering console they built. Um, I have a Rupert Neve uh, Designs MVP. Converters. I have a bunch of them. I use a Link's Hilo. I use a Benchmark DAC One, a JCF Locket, JCF eighty-eight, Pearl. Uh I got um, I got some uh, Millennia NS four. I got an SPL Iron, um, SPL twenty fifty. I have uh, a bunch of. I have a lot of floating gear. A Mac EQ four M. A dangerous compressor, A uh, 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 manly very mule, uh, a dangerous back EQ. A uh, manly master passive, a manly mini Massive, a charter oak SCL one compressor, charter oak EQ,
0: a thermionic culture, Phoenix mastering plus. What uh, what what uh, what is your monitor of choice for for you to work with every day?
1: My main monitors are PMC IB1S passive, and they're connected to a Bryson 4B SSD square amplifier. Cool. I also have a KRK V6S4 and a V4S4, which is the Series 4 and newer
0: generation. Those are additional. We've obviously spent a lot of time in. in um, on, on the, de- you know, the design of your room as well. And your listening environment yes. there. Can you talk a little bit about how you set all that up and what kind of treatment that you've, you've, uh, found used, you know, over your experience works the best?
1: Well, this room is around, this, this, uh, setup is around seven years in advance. So something like that. Um, I have different acousticians here. Um, and then I found this guy from Israel named Jonathan Sheffer, who actually nowadays is an acoustician for Apple. When I found him, he was doing his PhD in Salford University in England. And I flew him in from Israel to here. And in 10 days, he finished designing the room. And then we had built the room uh, with a materials... Um, combination of materials. Some of them are not being made anymore by certain companies, but uh, the main material used in this room is made by a company called Prime Acoustics. Yeah. They're out from Canada. Uh-huh. And most of the room is built from um, a, a device called the Max Trap. They're fake bass traps, they're very big.
0: Are those like in the rear are those like behind you in the corners of your room or ceiling or where do you where do you put your base traps? In all four corners or wherever you got?
1: They're in two front corners. One back corner has two and then I have also on the sides and I have a cloud. Mm Mm-hmm. The big cloud from them. I don't know how it's called. And then there's other on the side and in the back. So it's a combination of traps normal wedges that they have, and the cloud. And then I have some diffusion here.
0: Yeah, you got that big wall in the front, that big diffusion wall It looks pretty badass.
1: Yes, that, that stuff is not made anymore. That was made by Ehrlichs, but they don't make these anymore. That's why I said it's a combination. Sure. So most of the room is the prime acoustic um, material, and then the diffusion is just that.
0: Now what kind what kind of monitoring level do you normally master at? I mean you're probably doing you know moving around from from loud to quiet and stuff but like on an every the majority of the time are do you do you listen you reference like very low or higher than most people or
1: It's not low. It's it's loud enough for you to hear the low end. Yeah. And and also genre dependent certain sure. things are probably monitor louder just to make sure things are right but in general it's 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 not quiet it's loud enough to have to feel the low end and to hear the mid-range and highs balance and um in most cases i like to keep one monitoring level that i work with and then If I do need to go between, then I can jump between and maybe go higher if I need, or lower if I need. But in general, it's I like to keep one steady volume, Mm -hmm. and then from that, move up and down based on the material. If it's material that needs to be more dynamic, then I might go louder in listening level, because there's maybe passages that are way lower. Makes and I sense. might have to level it up. Yeah. And usually louder material would stay the same volume as the normal
0: volume. Very very cool. The the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on is, you know, you've been at this for for a while and um I kind of wanted to ask you how how your how mastering and your role within mastering has kind of changed over the years. And I'm not really just talking about like the loudness wars and stuff, but I'm sure your workflow has changed and maybe what you do has changed since you began. Anything you'd like to share in that regard?
1: Um, You know, the main thing is the same. You know, enhancing the sound, making it more engaging, connecting with the audience better, improving or uh, finding the right tone to represent the record, to um, represent the feel of the song. Differences from 10 years ago, from to now, or yes, there are. Um, today, more and more material comes in way more processed than before because there's more plugins out there and they're affordable and there's more applying to that. So, there's more places for me in terms of either I touch it very softly or even the opposite where before it it, it was the same before but now things can go even further so now you're getting stuff like sometimes records that are so processed
0: yeah they're not leaving you enough headroom to work with right
1: either headroom or or they are leaving me headroom but the processing is so much that it could be too much on certain things, and then I might ask them, "Hey, you know, the compression's too much, or, or it's too bright, or too saturated, and it can be very tiring to the ear." And then, you know, you know, maybe back off on some saturation because back then the plugins there weren't a lot of saturation plugins. Now a lot of plugins saturate, and sometimes they're oversaturating.
0: Yeah, yeah
1: they're um, over stereo widening or over emphasizing stuff that might be too much and they're not hearing it in their room so today I have more tools to work with because there's so many things out there that are totally different so I want to cater and accommodate the clients of all types before that you know I I did that, but the tools I, I needed were different because uh, the material was coming in in a different manner. Uh, today, more and more home producers or bedroom producers, some of them only work in the box, um, you know, on a laptop with yeah. headphones mm-hmm. or with a speaker set in a room, but the room cancels a lot of stuff. You know, years before, some of them were working in studios, maybe, and now they're moving home. Um, or back then, they weren't over-processing as much as today because the plugins were not as powerful in the same manner they are today. So I try to accommodate all of them by having different options. Like, I can have a very transparent chain, or I can play with. Different chains that have coloration, you know, from mild to extreme, or from really sure. light to mild.
0: Nowadays, things are you know, there's 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 options and like, for example, uh, additional steps like which you you usually offer, um, you know, the mastered for iTunes. You know, um, you know, a lot of people may not know exactly what that what what is that all about. You know, like in the last four or five years, you know, you start seeing seeing that
1: there's um you know different platforms require different coding and different level adjustments you know it's it's just natural for for different platforms to request things until there's like a standard that can work on everything yeah in general there is a standard but but even in the standard you have sub standards or you have um additional standards and you know it's like um years ago if you would send somebody an mp3 you know they wouldn't use it because they were you know it's like oh it's an mp3 i need a WAV file you know but nowadays some of it is just the mp3 you know mm-hmm. it's like like back in the day you could send to your client an mp3 and uh, to check and he'll approve and say okay now i need the WAV file. Today, we get to a point where some of them don't want the WAV file; they just want the MP3. Yeah. Uh, either way, I'll give them the WAV file so they can still sure. distribute it rightly, right? You know, but things change where where um, business got to a point where even the quality of MP3 now is better than before. But now that's enough for some people to be as a deliverable product because. The streaming or the downloads are that. Sure. Well, before the minimum was CD quality. That was the minimum. So, it changes, you know, and we have a lot of good tools today to get really good results. Only thing that is a problematic to my ears with that is a lot of people start to sound the same. Hmm. you get 20 mixes from 20 different people and they sound almost the same and it's because they use probably the same stuff and they read from others what to use and even though they they have different levels and all that and tones but in overall it kind of sounds very similar and that's where I try to bring the difference like even if I get a mix that sounds like 20 other mixes I'll try to Give it something that represents itself, by itself, its own identity, and not try to cookie-cut it, sound like another thing.
0: It's also kind of like an overused term, but when, when people say, you know, grow your ears, I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, you've obviously got a lot of experience professionally within this and doing everything that you would mentioned earlier. Was there ever a time where, or a, or a, a period where you where that kind of phrase made sense to you like where all of a sudden you could hea- maybe hear more than you heard before
1: it's a perception thing you know you learn to develop a certain perception and you focus on other things
0: like you've learned to develop where problem areas are and you go to seek those out
1: it could be that like some people develop well, uh, a an ear for listening to certain frequencies that have a problem. Some develop a ear to listen to the musicality of it. Like, like is that fix important or it's going to ruin something else? or And some of it, combination of them. Uh, to me, a lot of it is vibe. You know, it's a translation of it. You know, if if if, if what the band is doing convincingly or not. And you can, can develop a ear for that by one, understanding the aesthetics and the genre and, and all the m- small details. The second thing is you can listen to it in addition to that in a form of does it move me or it can move me better if this and that will be there? You know? Oh, yeah. And, and it's not about stamping it with your signature, it's more about. I feel that if this is added, it's gonna engage the groove better or it's gonna make it feel like it's vintage or organic. Or let's not emphasize this thing, let's actually emphasize something else where the focus point will be that. And like diverting the attention to a different place. Mm. You know, that's like makeup, you know? When somebody puts makeup, they're diverting the attention from certain things.
0: Hmm. I never really thought of it that way. That's that's a uh, that's a really good way to say that. Like it's it's always a trade-off, right? I mean, like you said earlier, if you add something, you risk taking something else away, right? It's a slippery slope.
1: Yeah, and same thing about cleaning something up. You might lose you might have it very nice and clear, but it might lose the rawness that was there. And maybe the rawness is more important than the clarity. And sometimes the opposite. Sometimes you need the clarity.
0: How do you usually handle that with your clients? Do you usually speak with them on the phone and say, "Hey, what's your, you know, what's what's your idea behind what you want out of this mastering job? Um, you know, all, do you discuss all that stuff with the client, or you just kind of do your thing?
1: Well, I always try to talk with the client to understand. You know expectations. Some of them just want you to do your thing, and and that's where you know that's where it goes to. Some of them want you to do your thing, and then they might ask for changes, which is okay. And we do the changes, and they see if they like it. And some of them have specific guidelines, like not 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 perf- like not perfectly specific, but more like. We are looking for a dynamic record. We are looking for a record that has this kind of amount of uh, high-end, maybe like darker or a brighter. Some of them really have specifics or examples. And some of them just let you do what you do. And um, in most cases, they let you do what you do. But I still like to ask questions, um, if I can. But in some cases, they just, you know, do it you know and then we'll move forward from that so it's it's kind of a mixed bag of what comes in Um, but I'm never opposed to hearing ideas and um, and that's why I also tell clients if you want you can give me a call and we can talk about it sometimes it takes a few discussions to understand more fine details and in other cases it's just kind of go with the flow and that's why they hire you to, to hear your, you know, your, to hear what you can bring to the table.
0: How do you like to have tracks, you know, delivered to you? Let's say you have a, um, a client and you're, you're ready to work. Um, and I'm sure there's a, you know, ways you'd like to request, you know, the files and stuff and, and headroom left for you to be able to work with what, How do you like what? Can you give me some of the do's and do nots of? I'm sure you've had a lot of knots that have come across. You say, hey, can you redo this and send this to me or whatever. But what are the do's and do nots of how you like to receive tracks?
1: Um, Well, first of all, I usually recommend keeping it the same sample rate and bit depth as your session. So that way I'm getting what you worked on the same. And um, I do recommend. If you do send to the client like a leveled up version, if you do that, send me that too, so I can hear what they're used to hearing. Okay, okay. In some cases, certain plugins that you apply might change the tone drastically, and it's a good idea to um, to know that because some of them not just add volume, but change the harmonic content like they saturate
0: sure
1: and then it gives you like harmonics and that already is different than which
0: so if you're getting something like same session like whether it was 44.1 24 bit or whatever like everything should be kind of at that and then headroom maybe like anywhere up to 6 db headroom is enough or would you like more
1: I usually recommend having some headroom because there is something that happens when you push things hard in the program and when I get more headroom I can, I can play with it, but things come in sometimes with no headroom or barely headroom and that's sometimes what it is. But I do recommend, you know, having some, you know, minus 3 to minus 6 dB headroom is good it gives me more range and I'm happy with it to work like that. But I get stuff that is 0.5 dB headroom, right. no dB headroom, yeah. like zero dB headroom, and I'll work with what I get. You know, um, I'm okay with that. I'll work with what I get. Um, it's just what's important for me is the communication. You know, you send me something, make sure you're labeling it right, name of the artist name of the song, mix, file version, that way files don't get mixed up as much. That's really what's important today, file management. Very easy to get mixed up with files and send oh, along yeah. files, and I've had that a ton of time happen.
0: Being organized is always the way to go, plus it makes your job that much easier, or anyone you're handing off your stuff to. Whether you're including notes or um, any of that stuff, just label it
1: yeah i'm um, i used to be more was more important for me the headroom before because back then people less people were proficient in reading the meters i mean i'm not talking about the professionals i'm talking about more the amateur yeah and and now they're more looking at meters than before um so even if there's less headroom it's I'm getting less and less problematic files than I used to get
0: well, that's a good thing,
1: yeah,
0: that's a really good thing. saves time for you. How far out like are you generally booked more to I mean oh, it depends, but like if someone wants to get a hold of you and they go to your site and they're are you like a few months out or are you is that typical?
1: No, they can always contact me usually i I'm, I'm not the guy who likes to delay things, I'm not the guy who who would say, oh, you know, I can't do it, I can't do it. Like, you know, it's like, no, I'll, I'll do it. Let's work with your schedule. You know, once you contact me, one of the first thing I ask is when you need it by, you know, and, and that way I can schedule. And I, I finish the work, I send it to the client, in the meantime, they're checking it, I can bring other work in at the same time.
0: Yeah.
1: And then work on it, send it out. They're checking if those guys approved it. We finished this. Moving to the next one. Uh, it's not production. It's mastering. It's usually turnaround time is much faster. And I do like to work with people. So it's not like I'm trying to be distant. Some people, they don't like to work much with people. They they less like to communicate. They just like to get the work and do it. Yeah. But I communicate because I also to me it's very important to know enough in order to gauge my time with the client so it helps me understand like how fast they need it or how much time we can spend you know on it or take the time and some projects come to me and they say we're not in a rush you know it can wait and if they give me that approval then, you know, that's okay. Whenever I have the time, I do it. But if somebody tells me there's a certain date that they need it ready by, in most cases, I'll say I can do it, and I'll do it by that time. But if I can't deliver by that time, I'm not going to tell them I can and not do it. So if if, if it can't fall on that timeline, I'll tell them I won't be able to do it by that time. And then recommend either they find someone else or if they can uh, ask for,
0: you know, the label if they can get more leeway. Right. Well, I know that you do work, you work very fast, um, at least with my personal interactions with you. I remember when you mastered uh, the Narcotic Wasteland album we did Yeah. a couple of years ago now. Um, you turned that thing around sounding amazing super fast. So, I guess it's kind of a hard question to ask you about how far are you booked out? I guess if you're interested in working with him guys, um, you know, find him online. I know he's active on Facebook a lot, but uh more you want to uh, uh talk about your website and how people can get a hold of you there. Yeah, everybody can get in touch with me. It's
1: www.maorappelbaum.com, the com. My email is M A P P E L B A U M at Gmail dot com. I have five Facebooks. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I have an Instagram now. I'm not usually active on it, but I have Instagram where people can follow, which is the small apple ball mastering. And
0: I just saw that. And you cut your hair off, man.
1: Right? Yeah, that's new. Yeah. <laughs> that's
0: All right. something it must be uh, must be getting a summertime out there in LA. Have
1: to lose the yeah. hair <laughs> yeah so yeah people can get in touch with me and i work with bands from all levels you know from bands that are starting out to bands that are well established uh from all over the world
0: yeah you have quite the uh when you go to your when you go to his website you'll see what i mean you have quite the discography of client of clients you've worked with um any uh any particular uh ones that you're very proud of or any stories you'd like to share?
1: Well, it's a lot of records. Yeah. Um,
0: I know you've done everything from, you know, uh I gosh, I mean the Dawkins stuff I saw then the Faith No More um a couple of cynic records I believe. Um mm-hmm. There's a lot there's a lot on there, but uh, I'm just curious if there's a shining star that you're super proud of and or if there's any cool funny anecdotes you want to share with the group.
1: Um well, you know, bands, uh, most of the clients that I work with, I'm very proud of the results. Um, you know, Faith No More is one of those bands that I, you know, grew up listening, And you know, when I was in high school, you know, they're up big time. Me too. It was a pleasure working with them on the comeback album, uh, Soul Invictus, and I also got to remaster their first album, We Care A Lot.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool.
1: Yeah, it's called the Deluxe Band Edition. Oh, wow. And, uh, you can find it online.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go find it online later today. Cool.
1: Uh, the band Yes, I've done five albums with Yes. Wow. It was one studio album and four double live CDs. Uh, the new one that I did, which is a 50 year anniversary live album, it's a box set for vinyl, seven vinyl sides. And um, I've just with Meat Loaf, I did his latest record than we are. I've worked with Robbie Halford on two studio albums and then a few live albums and DVDs. And angry Mountain and Cynic awesome. and Sepultura.
0: Do you do a lot of mastering for vinyl now? I mean, I'm sure it's, there's a lot of vinyl being produced for nostalgic reasons, but um, you know, how often are you doing mastering for vinyl? A
1: lot, yeah. actually. There's Besides the stuff that I do, you know, that I master for, for the certain albums, they also come in the vinyl version. There's also a lot of vinyl remastering I do um, that is specific for that, um, where, where I prep the material for the vinyl and can still improve it, you know, if it's old stuff or even new stuff and just, you know, improve it and get to that medium better. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of remasters that have done or albums, you know, some old stuff. So yeah, there's quite a a bunch. It's there's a lot of stories that just I don't remember a lot of them now. Like,
0: I know I put you on the spot. Plus, you've yeah, it's you've been you've done so many artists, didn't you do like uh, something with Shatner?
1: Yes. I did a, I did a mastered a, an album for him called Pond of the Mystery."
0: Was that one of his spoken word things, or is that like what was he doing on that one?
1: It's he does spoken word on it, but it's more of it's, it's like a prog rock album that Billy Sherwood produced and played on, and it had um, uh, guest appearances, like Steve Vai, and. and uh, a bunch of other artists, and William Shatner was speaking, like doing spoken word on the music.
0: Yeah.
1: i uh, really sure what did some did singing on it, but the, the spoken word part is William Shatner. Uh, it was very interesting because I grew up, you know, watching reruns, of course, because this is old stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I grew up, you know, watching Star Trek. So this was fun, sure. Yeah.
0: How often do you have clients coming into to your studio to hear the final masters, like guys of that caliber? Is that rare, or
1: you know, uh, today a lot of the people are either touring or in different places recording. Yeah. It's less and less of being attending the sessions. Um, in some cases. I've had producers like Mike Link um, or Bill Sherwood or a few others come in and sit with me in certain sessions um, or sometimes um, the clients come in maybe to listen to their stuff and then go back and do some fixes or start to work with me. Um, there's some pictures on Facebook of uh, clients that came in. Um, Gilby Clark, uh, Billy Sherwood, uh, Mike Klink, Matt Wallace, uh, Billy Gertz from Fake No More, uh, there's a bunch of people who came in and actually sat with me in certain sessions. Cool. But it's not that common all the time yeah. that people actually come as much, especially when you work with a lot of worldwide sure. bands. You know, I just did a new Sabaton record called The Great Bar, and there's different versions of it, also an orchestral version of it. They're in Sweden, so they send it to me here, Sure. or um, there's a new a-, a-, a record that I did, um, and that was, you know, from Norway, so they sent it here. Um, so in a lot of cases, it's unattended. And, you know, and they listen to it in their environment, which they know the best, right? They're used to listening in their cars, in their headphones, yep, in their yep. room. So it's 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 actually a win win situation where they judge it the way they judge anything else they listen to.
0: In the uh, in the show notes, we're definitely going to be putting a link to uh, to your website. Um, please please check it out, guys. Um, do do not overlook the the final steps. Of your project, if you've already poured all the blood, sweat, and tears into your project, um, it's it's not it's not a lot to kick it over the finish line, and even a better form, um, and it's not going to break the bank to do it. But I highly recommend, you know, getting somebody with an objective ear, uh, somebody, you know, someone with the credibility like Mahor to to do this. And like you said, he works with people of all levels, so. You know, if you need your project mastered, please find his website. You can see uh, you can see all the uh, the clients he's worked with, his setup. He's I know he's got a section on some gear and and all that stuff. So, what are you working on now? Are you got anything major coming up here in the next uh, month or so?
1: Well, I just finished that Yes record, yeah. 50 year live anniversary record, and that Sabaton record, Great War, and we also did an orchestral version of it, which is totally different. It's like the songs, but the, the vocals are not there and it's you know, orchestral instruments and arrangements. And also, um, there's another version that was done too. And then uh, the a album, um, Eric Gale's latest record, the bookends. Um, like, there's a lot of bands from South America or Europe that are, you know, very small indie bands, but they're cool and um so i've done that uh i did a single for the british band the cooks
0: cool a new single oh there's a
1: new secret right album that i mastered awesome comeback album and then, uh, on metal blade
0: yeah they're out touring right now aren't they
1: yeah they're out on tour right now yeah yeah there's, there's a bunch of stuff in the works all the time
0: That's great, man. I I know you're busy, so I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to to come on the show. And uh, everyone, you know, please check out uh, his website. And uh, if you're looking to have your stuff mastered and have it mastered very, very well, check him out. Moore, always a pleasure talking with you, my friend.
1: Oh, you're welcome. By the way, I also did some stuff for some movie soundtracks. A new Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called We Die Young. So the soundtrack that came out later, you know, to listen to online or to, to purchase, I mastered that. And uh, there's a few other movies as well, and also some video games, such as Fallout 76 and Elder Scroll Blades. I mastered uh, main themes for them, or certain things.
0: That's cool. How often are you doing uh, the video game stuff?
1: It depends. It's composers, yeah. so... Yeah. It, Sometimes those composers will do video games, sometimes they'll do uh, trailers for movies Mm -hmm. or or trailers for TV shows um, or even TV placements. So it really comes in, you know, as the composers work and it could shift from from either video game to uh, TV placement, to movie stuff, to trailers.
0: Awesome. Well, I know we'll be in touch. I have a, a few other things offline that I want to discuss with you, or future projects coming up. We're all be needing your services. But everybody else, check him out. He does quality work. And uh, if you got any questions for him, uh, hit me up, and maybe we'll get him back on here to answer some of them. But I wanted to make sure you you know you kind of heard it from him on the do's and don'ts of how to send your files, what's important about mastering in general, and. There's a lot to it, more than just volume. I think we just barely scratched the surface, but we're already coming up on an hour. So I uh, I know you got other stuff to get to, but uh, Moar, thanks again for coming on the show. Always fun talking. You're welcome and we can do another one
1: later on. I'll I'll be happy to do and elaborate more.
0: That sounds great. I'll I'll collect some questions and then maybe we can uh, circle back and and have another one with more specific uh, areas about mastering.
1: Okay. I'm
0: open to that. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks a lot for coming on and have a great day, buddy. You too. Thank you.